Hello and welcome back to the Neventoft podcast, an NFL UK podcast brought to you by UK fans for UK fans. As usual, we're back with our week seven recap and uh, the awards that we kicked off last week. Uh, We're going to be going through the second round of them again this week. We're also approaching the trade deadline, so we're going to get into some trade predictions later on in the show. Um, But before we get into that, as always, make sure to follow us on Twitter at Neventoft and send us your mailbag questions to neventoft at gmail.com. I'm joined as ever by my faithful co-host Nev. How you doing, mate? Always faithful as usual. Another good week of games. This was the first, because obviously they do this every year with the London games. This was the first of those ones where they just sort of sneak one in there nice and early without really telling you. So it was like a 2.30 kickoff. So I'm sure a lot of you missed it, but hopefully a lot of you got to see it. Same again next week in case you're wondering. But yeah, let's get into it. Thing is, you say good slate of games. I'm not sure I 100% agree with that because, I mean, there were some good ones in there, obviously, that we're going to be going through in, in the highlights. But I mean, all in all, I thought there were too many blowouts. Obviously, mm. it's not something the NFL can control, but um, just too many blowouts for my taste. Obviously, the Broncos blowing out the Cardinals and the Rams, the Vikings, and, and those games, although it's a display of uh, offensive creativity and they're, they're good football to watch from the side of the team that blows the other team out, I don't think they make for particularly good games, and I felt you know too many of them this week. That's true. I guess, For me, blowouts tend to be quite fun to watch in general unless it's like really bad but in the case of some of them it's like when you see a good team blowing out another good team that's always exciting to watch the one that I just completely struck from the memory is like the Colts versus the Bills because it's like okay cool (laughs) one of the more irrelevant games you'll ever see there yeah so um I mean we'll start with the Patriots and the Bears um we've we've got a few of them to talk about this week but the Patriots and the Bears seems like a decent place Mm -hmm. to start um, 38-31 was the final score. Um, I, I thought this one was riveting because it was never, it was never out of reach for the Bears. The, the Bears were up at a couple of different points. They, the Patriots took the lead. Bears came back. Patriots took the lead again. Bears came back. Uh, they just couldn't quite get it done. So uh, I, I feel like it makes for some interesting talking points to do with New England and. Uh, Chicago as teams respectively so I mean if you had to pick one big thing what did you take away from this one? It's weird because everything about this game would have told you that the Patriots won this in a blowout I mean they got two special teams touchdowns Mitch Trubisky didn't play particularly well throwing the ball at least he had some good runs in there but it was still a seven point game somehow so I mean I haven't delved like really deep to understand why but the ultimate thing is like it's just a strange one because Brady and the offense were really good. I mean, I guess it has to come down to the defense, really, allowing that many points. Because, I mean, obviously the Bears had the big special teams turnover as well, so that gave them easy points. But I guess you have to give a lot of credit to the Bears in that sense, because to put up 31 points and be that close, when, as I said, you give up two special teams touchdowns and your quarterback's not playing particularly well, and the defense gives up 38 points. So it's it's one of those strangely confusing games to me where it's like, It really should have been a Patriots blowout, but somehow it wasn't. So I don't really know where to assign the credit to that. I guess it would have to be Patriots defense because Bears defense didn't play particularly well. Some really sloppy tackling in there. Special teams gave up two touchdowns, but also got good field position on one. So 
yeah, really strange. There wasn't many coaching blunders on either side, so I guess it has to come down to the Patriots' defense just being a bit leaky, really. I mean, aside from from Mitchell Trubisky in the running game, and to be mm. fair to him, which he was outstanding, he was very good. Six attempts, eighty-one yards, average of thirteen yeah. and a half, um, and he rushed with a touchdown yeah. as well. Um, uh, aside from that, I feel like Trubisky's play in this game was was pretty much throwing as much shit at the wall Basically, as, yeah. as you can, and just seeing how much sticks because. He was 26 of 50. He threw the ball 50 times, only managed to complete just above 50%. Um, but he had 30, 333 yards, two touchdowns and two picks. So, I mean, he was bad, really just... Bad picks. Yeah, well. I mean, he was just throwing it up there. And sometime, half of the time <laughs> it came down as a touchdown. Half of the time it came down as a pick. He got a bunch of yards. But, I mean, really, when you're looking at a franchise QB, that's not what you're looking for. You're looking for more accuracy and consistency as opposed to, oh, Trubisky's going out, maybe he's going to score a touchdown or maybe he's going to score a pick six and throw the game away. So, I mean, that's really the QB that we're looking at at this point. And, um, I mean, I think the Bears should be worried in, yeah. terms, of, in terms of the future of their franchise because uh, I'm really starting to have serious doubts about whether I want this guy going forward in Chicago if I'm in that office. Yeah, because you called it last year. We had the sort of Mitch Trubisky early QB discussion and I thought, based off last season, and there was a lot of promising signs there, whereas you were very much more down on him. And it's he just looks more and more like Blake Bortles each week, which obviously isn't the best comparison if you're a Bears fan. That's not the sort of thing you want to hear. But in the sense that his decision-making is really poor. So it's like, I think Mitch Trubisky has a lot of physical attributes to play the to play the position. I think he's got decent accuracy. He's got a good arm and things like that. But if your mind isn't caught up, and that's always been the knock on Trubisky, is that he doesn't really have the mental capacity to play the position at a high level. And so when your mind isn't going quick, then you can't use all those physical abilities to the best of your abilities. So much like Blake Bortles, the best thing about Trubisky is his mobility. And to be fair, it is outstanding. He's probably up there with Deshaun Watson, Dak Prescott, Cam Newton, those guys, as one of the better QB runners in the league. But I guess the only hope is that with a good coach like Matt Nagy there, that eventually the mental side will catch up to his physical attributes and he can at least be a competent starting QB. A lot of the comparisons were sort of his upside was like Alex Smith plus. Like Alex Smith was a bit more with a bit more sort of deep accuracy and ability to throw the ball deep. But I agree with you. It's very concerning as a, if you're a Bears fan now about the position of your franchise with Trubisky there because they've got a lot invested in him, obviously. But... I mean, new head coach, if he has enough sway in the building, maybe if it doesn't work out this year, they can draft another guy and then release Mitch Trubisky the year after. So who knows what their mindset is? Are they going to keep going forward with Trubisky or is it going to be a short hook? I tend to think, similar to Marcus Mariota, that he'll get a pretty long leash just because they've got a lot invested in him at this point. Okay, so from the Patriots' side, uh, Tom Brady had a good game. He threw the one pick, but three touchdowns, 277, 25 of 36. Uh, And as we mentioned last week, throwing to a a complete variety of targets, um, as well as, you know, now we mentioned again last week, Ken John Barner uh, rushing the ball alongside James White. Sony Michel, I think he's done for the year. No, no, he's... it seemed like he might be done for the year, but recent stuff coming out is that it's not as serious as they thought. So 
Worst case scenario is probably a few weeks at this point. Yeah, and then so receiving, he's got Josh Gordon, Chris Hogan, James White again out of the backfield, Julian Edelman. Um, no Gronkowski this week. Yeah, so. Dorsett. So, I mean, just really utilising all of those pieces in the puzzle in New England and, and coming out with a good win against what I believe yeah. is quite a good Chicago team. Yeah, it, it has been a good Chicago team. The last two weeks coming off the bye, they've been a bit slow. Weirdly, the defence has fallen off a little bit. They're not tackling particularly well. Khalil Max hobbled by that ankle injury, so that might have a part to do with it. But yeah, it's a good win. It probably should have been a bigger win, but if you're Belichick getting a win on the road against a good team, you'll take it any way you can get it, and especially without Gronkowski. Josh Gordon is more and more each week looking like the guy we expected him to be with the Patriots. Clearly not in good shape, as we saw. We were watching the highlights at the end of the game where he had the big catch and run, and it was just completely gassed at the end of it. So you hope by year's end Josh Gordon is fully caught up and... On early signs, he's going to be a big part of the offense. Okay, so let's go to the Miami game. Um, 32-21 was the final score. Um, the reason I picked this one to just discuss is because, first of all, from Detroit side, I started to see a bit yeah. more of what we were expecting from this Detroit team. You know, Stafford saw a bit of the old Matt Stafford in this game. He didn't have a lights-out game, but he was 18, Incredibly efficient 18 and, of 22, yeah. two touchdowns, 217 yards. I mean, it's not mind-blowing. But it's you know it's it's the kind of stuff that you you had come to expect from Matt Stafford, and it's good to see him coming back. Just to a that. real solid game. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, and then this guy Carry On yeah. Johnson is just blowing my mind at the moment. 158 yards on the ground, um, as well as 21 receiving. I mean, I, he's just fantastic. Uh, and I have to say, I, I didn't expect it from the draft. Mm. I didn't see him as like one of the one of the top guys, but he has just come out lights lights out play here early on in the season and. Um, yeah, just truly impressive and, and what a weapon to have for, for Matt Stafford in the backfield. Yeah, the, the key to this game was that the Lions were just really good. I didn't think the Dolphins were particularly bad, but what the Lions did is they sort of found the weak spots in Miami and hit them again and again. You mentioned on Johnson had a big sort of 70-yard rush and then they kept going back to him and padded his stats a little bit. So again, another really solid performance there. Matt Stafford, as we mentioned, really efficient, really solid with the odd big play in there to just supplement it. It's kind of what the Bears were missing last week. They had all the other stuff, but they didn't have the explosive plays like the Dol- like the um, Lions did this week. And for the Dolphins, really, it's, it's not a particularly bad game for them. It just didn't... Their sort of way to win is big plays on offense, turnovers on defense, and the Lions did such a good job of not allowing either of those things to happen. Big problem for the Dolphins is injuries at the moment. Albert Wilson seems like he's done for the year with a hip injury. Kenny Stills looks like he's going to be out for a little bit. And Devontae Parker's availability this year has been very up in the air. We'll talk about him a bit later in our trade segment, obviously. But, yeah, I mean, nothing to panic about if you're the Dolphins. Disappointing to not win at home here. But, I mean, Brock Osweiler wasn't particularly bad either, which is... I mean, surprising to say the least. And then on a short week with all the injuries going into Houston for the Dolphins, going to be tough to get a win there. But they got one win out of Brock Osweiler. You hope Tanner Hill's back in the next couple of weeks. So anything you can get while Brock Osweiler's playing for you is a positive for the Dolphins. And it just didn't quite happen this week. The thing is, I I know you love me going on my tangents about shitting on the Dolphins. But uh, really, on this one, the thing that stood out was was the defense. I just thought it was so lax uh, from Miami. It was a little bit. It was a disappointing performance. They couldn't get any pressure on Matt Stafford. They only 
managed the one sack from Andre Branch. Um, I think it was in the second quarter. Um, I mean, they just no pressure. The coverage was weak. Matt Stafford, it was just an extremely comfortable game yeah, for was. Matt Stafford they to sort of get time. back into rhythm and, um, I mean, just, just execute and do what he needed to do to get out there with a comfortable win. But um, really, from, from the defence in particular... On this in this particular week, um, I, I just thought it was really poor from Miami, um, with the exception probably of Xavier Howard, who sort of shut down anyone he was up against. But yeah, Bobby McCain still doesn't look totally healthy. Jerome Baker, who's been really good for the season, made a couple of rookie mistakes on both of the touchdowns from Roberts, the Detroit tight end, I think. So just a few too many mistakes for the Dolphins. And I agree with you. They looked a little bit slow and not quite at it today. Um, yeah, on Sunday. and on the other side of the ball, I think it, it, when you get Tannehill back, Tannehill, like they, again, I have my reservations same here, same more here. so about about Tannehill but uh, I, I think Tannehill is significantly better mm-hmm. than Brock Osweiler and um, I think when he comes back you have a pretty serviceable offense with uh, the schemes of Adam Gase you know we disagree on on what he's like as a head coach in general but I think he's a good offensive mind enough to get a rushing attack going through Kenyon Drake and even Frank Gore uh, has been pounding out a few mm-hmm. high yardage games recently um, and then the receiving core it could use some more work you know they could do with drafting somebody obviously they got Gasicki the tight end but I mean who had, another, uh, who had a decent he's sort of building up a few good games in a row so hopefully he keeps trending in that yeah direction. but I mean having Danny Amendola as your top receiver mm. which is essentially the way it is at the moment for Miami is just not good enough because Danny Amendola was the third or fourth receiver in New England you know like I, I think my, Miami need to look at their receivers um, obviously make a make a QB decision I've been saying for two years now you know cut bait with Tannehill get what you can out of a trade for him and, and find somebody else but um, yeah I mean the offense is okay I think the defense needs serious work uh, particularly in terms of you know getting after opposing QBs and creating some pressure breaking down pockets and you know it just it was just amazing to me how much time yeah. Matt Stafford had in the pocket he was just standing back there no pressure and he could just execute without having to worry about anybody coming after him um, and that was the big takeaway from this game for me yeah I think the Dolphins obviously have been pretty badly shredded by injuries at like for the last few weeks edge rush has been an injury issue Cam Wake I think just came back this week and then the receivers obviously just getting ripped apart by injuries so you hope for the Dolphins that they survive pick up a couple of wins before everyone gets back healthy but I agree the pressure thing is weird because they started the season so well they weren't getting loads of sacks but they were getting a ton of QB pressures and that's really slowed down recently so something for the Dolphins to address definitely okay Saints Ravens game of the week I think so yeah definitely so 24-23 is how it ended uh, with the again a a Drew Brees miraculous Mm. comeback at the end um, at one point they were down 17-7 I think even 20-7 in the fourth quarter at some point um, and then he just came came roaring back again not not a massively impressive stat line from Breeze 22 of 30 212 yards two touchdowns uh, but he's just one of those guys like Matt Stafford like Brady he just gets it done when it matters he does exactly what he needs to do to, to come out with wins um, and at the end of the day it doesn't really matter what he did because what he did was enough to pull yeah. out the win for New Orleans so um, yeah I mean productive day f- uh, for the for the Saints, Alvin Kamara got going on the ground, 64 yards. Um, 
12 rushes for Mark Ingram, 32 yards. It was just a very productive offensive day. Obviously, Michael Thomas, continuing on his good year, had 70 yards receiving. Um, and again, you know, it's like the story in New England. Breeze just utilises everybody in a way that other teams can't uh, and pulled it out here. What did you think? This was a fantastic game. Obviously, there's the number one defence against the number one offence going up against each other, which is always very exciting. And you mentioned it with the score-wise that the Ravens, they didn't dominate at the start, but they slowed the Saints down very significantly to start the game. So it's like it wasn't like they were completely shutting them down. They weren't turning them over and stuff like that, but they were slowing them down enough where the Ravens could build that lead. I thought Flacco on the offense played pretty well all in all. Again, and then the game just sort of flipped. It took a bit of time for the Saints to get in rhythm, but once they got in rhythm, then the Ravens had a, a lot of trouble trying to stop them. The team speed for the for the Saints offense really stood out because what the Ravens are so good at is they've just got so many giant guys up front, but they're not necessarily the fastest. And so once they were worn down a little bit, then the Saints could move the ball a lot easier. And that's ultimately, ultimately what led to the comeback. But credit to the Ravens, they went down late in the game, like late in the fourth quarter, but then Flacco led them back, scored the touchdown, and all it needed was an extra point to tie it, and then somehow Justin Tucker, easily the best kicker in the league, probably the best kicker of all time at this point, missed his first ever extra point. I think it was 222 in a row he'd hit. So, I mean, when, when that's what decides the game being a loss or going to overtime you consider yourself a bit unlucky if you're the Ravens but overall this was the sort that this game was basically a tie to me because they were so close the whole way through the game but Saints just about did enough to edge it yeah so I mean in terms of the Ravens in general as a team uh, I mean the, the big story at the beginning which was now faded out at the beginning of the season was that a lot of people thought Flacco wouldn't be that good at the beginning mm -hmm. of the season uh, and Lamar Jackson would come in and be the full-time QB at about this point uh, it hasn't happened um, I mean do, do you think that still will happen at some point or do you think you know it's, it's Flacco's and he's good to go for the rest of the year? Yeah, definitely Flacco's. Flacco's been pretty outstanding this season overall he's back to the good Flacco we saw in the early years of his career where he's not making loads of dumb decisions. He is throwing the ball deep, which is what the last few years he's really struggled with. His yards per attempt were way down, but he's been really good this season, and that defense is just, as the stats bear out, it's easily the best defense in the league this year. So I think the Ravens are going to be contenders for the playoffs the whole way through. And then, as we've seen from the Ravens, once they get in the playoffs, if Joe Flacco can get hot, which he more often than not does when it comes to playoff time, they're clearly one of those teams who are in contention to win a Super Bowl, as far as I'm concerned. OK, so d divisional rivalry, Dallas played... Washington, um, I mean, it, it was a, uh, a very close game. Yeah. I mean, it, it kept going there right till the end, 20 to 17. Washington pulled it out. Um, and their first place in the NFC East. Now, uh, what was your big takeaway from this one? Like my takeaway from this one is that the Cowboys really need a new head coach. And it's like, I don't think Jason Garrett's terrible, but as far as I'm concerned, this Cowboys team is pretty badass all in all. I mean, they've got Dak Prescott and Zeke Elliott, who are awesome. I think, at least. A lot of people are a bit down on Prescott, but I think he's fantastic with what he can do with his arm and legs. That O-line is still fantastic. And then their defense is so good as well. The defensive line just terrorizes people every week. Jalen Smith, Van Der Esch, and Sean Lee is probably the best linebacking trio in the NFL now. And Byron Jones at corner has been outstanding for them. And then they've got some good complimentary players on the back end there. The only question with the Cowboys here is their coaching, I think, because their team is really good but they keep making little mistakes in games like this that ultimately cost them. 
the glaring one was at the end of the game where they had a 47-yard field goal to win the game and then there was some stupid snap infraction by the long snapper who's never done it before and then it went to a 52-yard field goal and the kicker hit the post which gave the Redskins the win ultimately so very disappointing if you're the Cowboys because I think the coaching is holding them back and I think Garrett is going to have a pretty hard time keeping his job at this point because the Cowboys are trending towards a 7-9, and 8-8 eight and eight year and I think that team is much better than that. I think they should be competing for the playoffs but long term assuming they do get a better head coach in there. I think the outlook is really good for the Cowboys. At every level of their team, they're young and exciting. So I think the Cowboys are going to be contenders for a few years to come now, assuming they get it right with coaching. For the Redskins, they just do what the Redskins do. If they're on a good day, they're extremely hard to beat. Their defensive line is dominating almost every week. And if the offense is allowed to do what they're good at, which is run between the tackles with Adrian Peterson and then hit the likes of Jordan Reed and Crowder over the middle, then they're just going to be extremely hard to beat. Alex Smith is doing what Alex Smith does, but to me, this looks very much like the Chiefs teams of the past few years when the defense was good. A good team that's going to win nine or ten games, potentially win a division, and then lose in the first round of the playoffs. So that's where I think Washington are trending, but credit where credit's due. They have been really good this season. Okay, and so last game we're going to break down uh, Chiefs-Bengals. It was one of the blowouts that I mentioned earlier on in in the uh, episode 45 to 10 was the final score but um, I mean the reason we picked it as one of our highlights of the week is uh, purely because I felt it was the best showcase I, I mentioned earlier on that blowouts you can get something from them because you're looking at good offensive football on the side of the team that blows the other team out um, and in this case it, it was just a showcase of why the Chiefs are so good um, 45 to 10 I, I mean what did you think about this I one? Mean, yeah the reason this game's interesting because the Bengals are a really good team. I think they're leading the AFC North as it stands or tied with the Ravens. And the Chiefs just, in Arrowhead, just completely annihilated them. And to me, the Chiefs look like they're pretty much unbeatable at home. They're pretty, they're nigh on unbeatable on the road, but especially at home with that home field advantage. They just look completely unstoppable. But yeah, I mean, the Bengals' defense is really good. The Bengals' offense is pretty good as well. They're just a good team overall. But a lot of people will say, oh, it's primetime Bengals, primetime Andy Dalton coming home to roost again. But the Bengals didn't look that bad all in all. It's just the Chiefs were just completely all over them. The game was over within the second quarter. They were already up by 20, and they just kept rolling from there. I mean, it was a slightly different game for the Chiefs. It wasn't it was. It sounds weird to say when they put up that many points and yards, but it was slightly more conservative in the sense that Kareem Hunt was much more involved than he has been a lot of the time. It's mostly just been bombs away down the field. And it was, again, I think Mahomes had over 300 yards, four touchdowns again. So hard to say it wasn't that sort of game. But Kareem Hunt definitely had an emphasis in this game, had that awesome run where he hurdled the bloke and made like nine guys miss. But yeah, I mean, it's just Chiefs domination again. There's not much more to say. I mean, the thing is, the thing, the, the point I want to talk about with this game is um you know this Chiefs team first of all in your opinion are they going to the Super Bowl and also where, where we're ranking an offense in terms of all time are you looking at this Chiefs as an all-time offense or um do you think it's just a bit of an Andy Reid flash in the pan it's hard to say because obviously when you look at all-time offenses you look at the 2015 Broncos you look at the 98 Vikings the 2007 Patriots and then pick any of the Peyton Manning Colts teams from back in the day the problem is is when you contextualize it and look at the fact that the Rams are doing similar stuff the Saints are doing similar stuff so 
within the context of this year, they might not even be the best offense this year. Statistically, I think it's still the Saints. So, I mean, just watching them, it's hard to say they're not one of the best offenses. Like, they're one of the most fun and explosive I've ever seen. But it's hard in this modern era when offenses, it's easier to manufacture yards and points than it ever has been. So it's hard to say. But, I mean, to my eye, yes, they're one of the best I've ever seen. Just combination. I mean, it's partly because they've got such an exciting QB to watch. But to your other point, I think if the Chiefs are going to make the Super Bowl, if they get home field advantage and potentially pull off a big trade that we'll talk about a bit later then yeah, if they get home field advantage, I find it hard to believe anyone's going to beat them in the playoffs, assuming Patrick Mahomes isn't one of those random, great regular season playoff choker type of guys, but we have no evidence to suggest either way on that. So just based on what we've seen so far, I think if they get the number one seed, it's going to be very tough to stop them getting to the Super Bowl. The thing is, we, we talk about these um, you, you know, defences like the Vikings defence mm-hmm. and the Broncos defence about how they're all-time, and part of the reasoning behind that is like the Vikings have an all-time generational player at every level. Yeah. Um, I mean, whether you want to say a Hall of Famer at every level, it's still to be seen, but a, a generational great great player at every level and I've never seen anything like it here in Kansas City because you have I've never seen anything like Patrick Mm -hmm. Mahomes and then you have a generational or potentially generational running back in Kareem Hunt Um, I think Tyreek Hill I I think you can solidify that now he's fantastic he's the most dynamic offensive player he's so electric and then Travis Kelsey is is cemented and a pretty good O-line I think Travis Kelsey is cemented at this point as the best tight end in the league and has been in my opinion for the last two years i mean it, it's just unbelievable the the way this this chiefs team is is churning and out yardage and they're all playing well as well so. churning out touchdowns i mean he, pat mahomes manages to keep the picks to a minimum mm. so they don't have that many giveaways in comparison to other teams like the bills um i mean it's just unbelievable and i don't see anybody stopping this team really the the only teams that i could potentially see stopping them in the playoffs patriots obviously just because tom brady is tom brady and he stopped them you know he he yeah, he, he went Fox to Pro, exactly very close you know game. and that's the kind of thing you'd need Brady to get the first seed blah 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 yeah. so that that's, seed, that's what it comes down that to that seeding yeah. will be extremely important for New England and then potentially I could see a team if this Vikings team has molded into something a bit more than what we saw last year to where they're a more cohesive unit I think that defense is going to get better and better and better and the offense is up there with the yeah. best of them in the NFL we can so. finally kill the, the narrative the sort of three-way narrative in the offseason of the Keenum Smith Cousins thing about which team actually won. I think it's very obvious to see that the Vikings made the best decision and ultimately won that by getting Kirk Cousins. Absolutely, yeah. So, um, I mean, that that's yet to be seen, obviously, but um, uh, it's going to be exciting going into oh, the yeah. home stretch of the season. Uh, the the team I have my eyes on most, to be honest, is this Chiefs team. Yeah. Just oh, because, they're easily the most. Fun. Uh, I mean, everything you watch is just electric, um, and it's sort of. Uh, I mean, I feel like it sparked a thrill around the NFL. Definitely. Because everybody's talking about it. It's just, um, I mean, having Pat Mahomes in the NFL is a credit to the sport. Okay, so another new segment for this week's show. Um, We've mentioned it before, but we're we're bringing in the Tradar. Um, So around this time, we're approaching the trade deadline. Some teams that have noticeable gaps will go out and look for players that can fill those gaps. And you've got a few to take us through that you think might potentially happen. Yeah, especially it's more relevant now than ever, obviously, because obviously with the trade deadline coming up. But the last few years, trades have really exploded in the NFL as 
it's it's very much a salary cap thing where the salary cap keeps going up every year teams realize that they have a lot of space to bring in veterans on big contracts where it never used to happen in the past and I have a few here. One of them's already happened. Obviously, it happened yesterday, I think, where Amari Cooper was traded to the Cowboys for a first-round pick. So I'll give my quick thoughts and then hand it over to you. I think player-wise, I think it's a good trade for the Cowboys. But generally, you know how I feel about wide receivers. I don't think you need to spend too much on them. But for the Cowboys, I don't mind the move because their roster overall is pretty complete. So losing one first-round pick is not the end of the world, and it's a position of major need for them. Generally, I think you don't need superstars at wide receiver. You need a deep and diverse group of wide receivers, and the Cowboys kind of have that, but they don't have a guy like Amari Cooper who can win by himself, win underneath, win an intermediate route. So I think the fit with the Cowboys is really good, which is why I like the trade for them. But what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think that the Cowboys suffered from letting Des Bryant go because mm-hmm. they didn't have that target man. Yeah. Uh, they've got it again, a younger version in Amari Cooper. Uh, I think Amari Cooper has been underrated almost his entire career. I think he's really good. I don't think the Raiders got as much out of him as, as they should have done or could have done. Um, and I think it's a good trade all around. I think the Raiders... Um, the Raiders, by the way, the Raiders now have three first-round picks next year. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So the, the Raiders get the compensation for letting him go. And obviously they're rebuilding through... Uh, Gruden and then obviously it's what the Cowboys needed yeah. so they get a good wide receiver in return uh, I don't think it's anything like the Mac trade where no, no, no. you know it, it was uh, clearly just a stupid trade I think it's a beneficial trade and the kind of trade that I would make if I was a GM on either side of this so uh, yeah I mean good for both sides I think so the next one here would be a real blockbuster trade and there's been a lot of rumors about it especially fueled yesterday and that's Patrick Peterson possibly being traded out from the Cardinals the early rumors was that the Chiefs were very interested in him and obviously with the Chiefs defense struggling particularly in the secondary it seemed to make a lot of sense but I think yet again yesterday Patrick Pe- the reports are now that Patrick Peterson desperately wants out of Arizona and he's asked the organization to trade him before next week and then interestingly enough Adam Schefter had a report from Patrick Peterson's cousin basically saying it was quite a funny tweet he was like Patrick Peterson's preferred destination is the Saints and then he was like my source is Patrick Peterson obviously because he's cousin so he would probably know but I mean the other teams that have been banded around there's quite a few of them obviously the Chiefs Saints the Eagles have been mentioned the Steelers have been mentioned and the Panthers have been mentioned so as far as all of those teams go which one seems to make the most sense do you think the Cardinals will actually let him go do you think the Cardinals should let him go and are there any other teams that you could see as being big candidates for him the thing is I I think absolutely he should go to to Kansas City Mm -hmm. it's the hot team makes a lot of sense for him to go there Uh, it's a win-win on both sides so that's what I'd be looking for if I was Patrick Peterson and if if I was the Chiefs I'd be massively interested because the Chiefs have now as we were talking about exploded into a win now mode they're in their win Um, mode yeah yeah. so I mean yeah get him in there and do all you can to go for the Super Bowl this year Um, alternatively I, I think uh, the, the Vikings could use him because, you know, Mike Hughes goes down potentially if he's up for it, a one-year big fully guaranteed contract. Um, obviously, he's probably looking for something a bit longer term. But well, he's got he's got his, I don't know how many years left, but he has his big contract. So as far as you'd have a couple of years of him left on this contract before you'd have to give him a new one. So I guess it, that would also sort of define which teams are interested, the guys that are willing to pay him for two years or maybe let him go after those two years. So, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, we know that Mike Zimmer likes to collect yep. corners and he's in a bit of a crisis mode at the moment because Hughes, the promising uh, first-round pick, has gone down. 
Rhodes seems to be injured. It, it didn't look good. He, he came off the field and didn't come back on um, with a leg injury. Still haven't heard what specifically that was, but um, he went off, was carted into the locker room. It looked pretty serious. Mm. So, uh, I mean, if the two starting corners have gone down and you're looking at Trey Waynes uh, being essentially your number one corner, uh, if I was Mike Zimmer, I'd be looking at it because, again, the Vikings are one of those teams where they need to go for it now. They're at the end of the Mike Zimmer era um, because I mean it depends because Mike Zimmer could have another 10 years in Minnesota we don't know but, but the, yeah this particular window he, might be closing and this particular team as yeah. well with you know people are going to start going because of cap space yeah. etc they'll start moving on but if he wants to get it done this year I think it would be a great statement move for him to go after Patrick Peterson before the trade deadline I think that one's more unlikely um, I, I think more likely is New Orleans or Kansas City but um yeah, just, just food for thought with that one. Yeah, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, if I'm the Cardinals, I absolutely make the trade. If Patrick Peterson wants out, you can get a lot for him. So I think it would be very silly of the Cardinals not to trade him because they're clearly in year one or year zero, essentially, of a massive overhaul, a big-time rebuild. And Patrick Peterson is not old by any stretch. He's still 28, but to get picks and get the cap space from getting rid of Patrick Peterson, I think makes way too much sense not to do. Do you agree? Do you think the Cardinals should make the trade? Uh, I'm not so sure. I just don't believe in giving away talent yeah. like that, like with Khalil Mack. I, I just I don't believe in mortgaging your franchise by letting someone go and then banking on the picks that you get for him that they're going to be good. Uh, I would always uh, err on the side of keeping mm. the talent uh, and just try and sweeten the deal for him, make him happy um, in Arizona and see if you can get some to, come to some sort of arrangement with him to, to make him stay there. Yeah, I guess you've got to hope that you can sell him on the idea that the rebuild is going to go faster than it looks like it will. But, I mean, for entertainment purposes, I hope it happens. But if you're a Cardinals fan, you're probably dreading the thought of it. One I was going to touch on, but and, and it's looking less and less likely, it seems like, is Devante Parker was rumoured to, to be on the trade block and it seemed like the Eagles were interested because obviously their wide receivers outside of Alshon Jeffrey haven't been performing. But I think that's been quelled a little bit now with the Dolphins desperately needing wide receiver help. So I think that's a bit unlikely to happen. But the other one, which obviously has some perspective after this game, is the Jags trading for any QB, basically. And the one that sprung to mind for me was Robert Griffin III. I think that's the best option for them. I think he showed in preseason flashes of the ability to be a starter. He's not going to cost too much. And at this point, you might as well. But the popular ones being banded around there is Tyrod Taylor from the Browns and potentially even Teddy Bridgewater from the Saints. I mean, even though the Saints just traded for him a few weeks ago, if you're the Jags, if maybe if you offered them a first-round pick and a little bit more, they'd be tempted to move Bridgewater on and get extra value. So with those names being banded about, what do you think as far as the Jags potentially trading for a QB to finally get Blake Bortles out of there? Well, I think 100% Teddy Bridgewater is the best option yeah, here um, because still we're in that phase where Teddy Bridgewater hasn't really been given another shot since he went down in training camp a couple of years ago. Um, he could still be a bona fide starter for all we know. Tyrod Taylor is what he is we know he's a, he's a really top tier game manager but I think the upside of Bridgewater is even even better uh, and in general with the Jags I think they should definitely be looking to the horizon and looking past Blake Bortles instead of once again coming out with commitments to him even though you're now starting to bench him mm. get rid of the bloke or bench him permanently for the rest of the season and get rid of him at the end of the season 
uh, and bring in a guy like Teddy Bridgewater or Tyrod Taylor. Either or, I think they'd be upgrades from Bortles. Yeah, 100%. I think it's going to be tough to get Tyrod Taylor out of Cleveland because I think they like his leadership and whatnot. But with Blake Bortles, it's not. It's like we know that his play is holding back the Jags, but it seems like now it's really starting to affect the locker room where they gave him a lot of grace last year when he was playing a little bit. But the, that locker room now, it seems like they all know that Blake Bortles is the one holding them back and it seems like there's a lot of resentment and toxicity building in the Jags locker room. So if I'm the Jags, I couldn't get Bortles out of there quick enough and any of those three guys we mentioned would be upgrades. Robert Griffin, maybe, you don't know where he is, but at least take a shot on the upside there and he'd be pretty cheap. But as far as one sort of wild card trade I thought about, there were, again, rumours coming out from the Broncos with this season turning into a little bit of a disaster for them. It doesn't seem like they're going anywhere. Rumours are that executives around the league are looking to try and pick off the Broncos roster. I think they mentioned that Demarius Thomas is up for a trade. Bradley Roby in a contract year is on the trade block as well. But the one I had in mind is Von Miller. I mean, again, it goes to your point about don't trade your best players and the elite players. But for the Broncos, same thing with them. Patrick Peterson is they're in rebuild mode now and so guys like him who are ticking towards 30 by no means slowing down at all but the sort of guy that if you're rebuilding could get a lot of assets for at this point and the teams I mean this one's not going to happen but the team I thought about was the Rams obviously because they were in the Khalil Mack sweepstakes apparently according to Jay Glazer I think it was was the Rams plan was to take Khalil Mack for one year knowing that they weren't going to be able to pay him and then letting him go next year in free agency, just in win-now mode. And that would suit the Von Miller thing. Cap space is going to be tough. And I again, I don't think this one's going to happen, but I think it's something that both teams should at least think about. I mean, I, again, I think it's going to be tough for the Rams to fit him in under there. But what do you think about a potential Von Miller trade? I, I think you'll probably be similar with your Patrick Peterson analysis. And are there any other sort of major names on bad teams that you could see being traded? Yeah, I mean, it's exactly the same analysis as Patrick Peterson, but this one even more so. Mm. I think they, they would be absolutely moronic to let Von Miller go kill their team seven seven and a half sacks already this season he's about the only thing that they've got going for them Uh, Emmanuel Sanders is having a good year and there's some things going on offense it's not totally uh, depleted but uh, I mean I think I don't think this is a team that needs to be totally rebuilt from the ground up like I I think you do last year you said you thought they were the worst roster in the NFL Um, I don't feel that way I think they still got some good pieces there Um, I just think they need to get a QB in the draft um, and then maybe buffer up some other areas particularly on defense build around Von Miller as opposed to trying to get rid of him um, and then you know work from there I, I don't think getting rid of him is the answer for Denver yeah it'd be a pretty stupid decision all in all but the sort of thing that bad organizations who are in rebuild mode those sort of panicky moves that you sometimes see out of them but again I don't think that one's very likely but the fact that the Rams were looking to get Khalil Mack they don't have any good edge rushers and there'd be a little bit of familiarity with Wade Phillips so if it was going to go to anyone I think the Rams would probably have the cojones to pull it off but yeah I agree with you I don't think the Broncos are going to do anything that silly Demarius Thomas Bradley Roby I could see guys like that being traded because that makes a bit more sense but I think Von Miller's probably untouchable okay so let's go to our second week awards uh, that we started last week. Uh, the Nathan Peterman Award going to the absolute worst player of the week. Um, obviously, the inaugural award went to Nathan Peterman, um, but this week we've given it to Blake Bortles for obvious reasons. 
Texans. How, how do you feel about this one? Yeah, I mean, I think it was, what, like 6 of 12, 60 yards passing, two fumbles, and he got benched. So, I mean, it all speaks for itself, really. When you perform that badly and then end up, end up getting benched, for Cody Kessler, of all people, you've had a bit of a shit week. And Doug Marone's been trying to sort of play out this narrative that it wasn't a referendum on Blake Bortles it was more just trying to get a spark going in the offense with someone different but I think everyone in and outside of the Jags organization at this point knows that Blake Bortles is one of the worst players in the NFL and this week was just another example of that. So the Plaxico Burress award goes to the team or player that shot themselves in the foot uh, the most this week, and it's, it's going to the Eagles. They went up 17 yep. nothing on the Panthers uh, and let them come back to win 21-17. Um, I mean, all you had to do was run the ball, really, just just run the ball and uh, play out the clock. But uh, I feel like they're, they're suffering from sort of that Super Bowl oh, champ yeah. um, hangover where, where they've been celebrating all off-season. Philadelphia's been going berserk. They've been rioting all year. Um, and then suddenly you've got to get back to it and they feel like they're the champs. Uh, a bit of entitlement really going on in Philadelphia, I think. I think they feel like they should be the champs and don't really understand why they're getting beaten by a pretty average Carolina team. Um, but, I mean, they went up and then allowed them to come back in dreadful fashion, shot themselves in the foot, and they're the winners of the Plaxico Barras this week. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned entitlement, and I think that's a good point. Doug Peterson's attitude, I think, has been pretty poor. He's been very sort of chippy with the media the whole way through as they've been rightly questioning the stuff that's going on with the Eagles. And, and then you have, like, Nick Foles after the Super Bowl. He wrote a book, for God's sake, some sort of motivational book about his life and whatnot. It's like, Jesus Christ, when that sort of stuff's happening, it's not a good look for your team. But as far as on the field goes, in this, in this game was basically a microcosm for their season in general, which has been very disappointing. I think three and four now for the defending champs just isn't good enough. The O-line has been incredibly porous and really disappointing. Lane Johnson, who most people think is the best right tackle in the NFL, has been really poor. Jason Peters has been getting his ass whooped on a few occasions. Hasn't been terrible every game, but a couple of games I've looked at a bit more in depth. He's really struggling there, and he can barely stay on the field all game because of injuries. And then their secondary is just a disgrace at this point. It's, it's it's kind of weird to think. I don't know how they survived last season and won a Super Bowl. I guess you'd have to say that their front seven just dominated so much and got so much pressure that it hid a lot of the mistakes. But Jim Schwartz, who I think is a really good defensive coordinator, has just been playing a lot of battleship football where just leaving guys on an island like Jalen Mills and Ronald Darby, who are decent athletes and like serviceable corners, but they're not good man-to-man. They get beaten on double moves too much. They get beaten deep too much. And teams are just going bombs away on the Eagles this year. And Jim Schwartz isn't adapting enough. He's not playing enough zone, which, I mean, isn't really Jim Schwartz's style. He likes to be aggressive, but just the stuff that was working for them last year just isn't working for them this year. Carson Wentz doesn't look particularly comfortable, obviously, because his O-line's not giving him enough protection. So when you have a meltdown like that, I have to say you're the Plaxico Burris Award winner. Okay, so the Onion Award this week going to the most understated performance or player of the week or last couple of weeks in this case. You pounded the table for him. You wanted Tyrell Williams for this. Um, why? He's, I mean, he's one of my favourite players in the NFL. I 
think earlier on in the offseason, I mentioned him as like one of my underrated gems in the NFL. And I think he's that good. I think if he could be the best receiver on a good team, I think he's that good. And then the last two, I mean, to go along with that, I think he's one of the best deep threats in the league. He's like, he's big, he's fast, he catches everything. And the last two weeks in particular, I think it was last week was four catches, 118 yards, two touchdowns. This week, three catches, 118 yards and another touchdown in the London game against the Titans. He's just been bowling out all year, catching a bunch of touchdowns and all the publicity with the Chargers goes to Keenan Allen and then Mike Williams this year, who they've both been really good this season, no doubt. But to me, Tyra Williams is by far the most explosive weapon they have and he continues to prove it week after week. Okay, so the Fitzmagic Award to the best performance of the week is Aaron Donald. Four sacks, two forced fumbles, four tackles for loss. Uh, an all-time defensive performance, really. Didn't have to think about this one at all. Yeah. Uh, straight to Aaron Donald. It was fantastic. Um, I mean, in terms of that defence, he is the heartbeat of the LA Rams defence. And, uh, I mean, they're, they're lucky to have him. And when contract disputes come up with Aaron Donald, that one more so than a guy like Von Miller or Patrick Peterson, that guy you have to keep on the team. Otherwise, you are risking everything as far as the Rams are going. Uh, and as far as I'm concerned, pay him $200 million. I don't care. He's got to stay in LA. Yeah, I mean, to, to me, he's the best player in the NFL, regardless of position. He's easily the best defensive player in the NFL. He's probably going to win Defensive Player of the Year again. And yeah, this game was just, again, a micro of what Aaron Donald is just completely dominant all game long the offense had no answer for him and just continued to just pound them all game long okay and finally our favorite award the Bryant McKinney award this is the real sort of illustrious one we give out here. as we said last week it goes to the team that with, with the most dominant performance or, or dominating performance um the team in, that laid the pipe Brian, beat them down Bryant McKinney sort of uh, obviously in honor of the Viking sex boat scandal which we mentioned last week um the the most dominating performance this week goes to the Broncos who beat the Cardinals 45 to 10 um, I mean, as we said, absolutely ran a train on them. Um, it was one of the most disgusting performances I've ever seen as far as the Cardinals are concerned. Just couldn't get anything going and the Broncos took full advantage um, and just completely dominated them all game long. Yeah, I mean, Von Miller called the shot last week. He said, we're going to kick their ass," and boy, did they kick their ass. But the reason the Broncos got this over other sort of blowout candidates like the Colts and the Bills is because the Cardinals ultimately ended up with 69 yards. So in the spirit of this award, it would have been, it would have just been ridiculous to give it to any other team. Yeah, but as we said, Broncos just ran a train on the Cardinals all game long. Cardinals had absolutely no answer and spent the last like couple of minutes shitting on the Broncos and saying they should trade their best player, which looks a bit silly now after giving them this award. But as far as this week goes, I think the, the Broncos, as much as anyone, deserve the Bryant McKinney Award for sure. OK, so that's it for this week. Um, we'll be back next week with our usual uh, show. Obviously, it's evolving as it has done over the last couple of weeks. We're adding in more things, streamlining the show, really. So uh, we'll be back possibly with a new segment next week uh, hope you enjoyed it